You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Hi everybody, today's reading is from Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 to 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. Hi, brothers and sisters. Uh, well, uh, here I am again in the kind of office jungle that you can see behind me. I hope you appreciate the effort I'm making with the you know, aesthetics. Anyway, seriously, let's, uh, let's pray as we look at God's word. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we ask now that you would watch over us as we look at your word. Uh, please speak to our hearts, our minds, uh, by the power of your word and spirit. Uh, in particular, please bring rest to our restless souls. Uh, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I wonder how often it is that you feel restless. Now, maybe it's a sense of actually being anxious or worried about something, or just a general sense of being dissatisfied or discontent with where things are at in life. Maybe you feel restless right now. After all, there are plenty of things to be restless about in lockdown. As I was preparing this sermon this week, I found a quote from Charlotte Bronte's classic book, Jane Eyre. I actually really resonated with it. Jane Eyre says this. She says, I can't help it. The restlessness, or rather I couldn't help it, the restlessness was in my nature. It agitated me to the point of pain sometimes. I resonated with this quote, but because if you know me, you'll know that I'm a notoriously restless person. Sometimes that's kind of a good thing, because it it keeps pushing me forward to be productive and achieve goals and try new things. All things that have, well, they've really been quite useful in planning a church. And of course, my restlessness can also be a bad thing. I can have unreasonable unreasonable expectations. I can be overly critical of others. I can certainly be overly critical of myself. I constantly feeling like I'm falling short, that that nothing's ever actually quite done or finished or never actually really good enough. I often have this sense of restlessness. I just can't shake it. But as Jane Eyre says, I can't help it. This restlessness seems to be in my nature. Indeed, sometimes it agitates me to the point of pain, discomfort. I wish it would go away. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. And if you have, I wonder how you've tried to deal with your restlessness. How have you tried to find more satisfaction or contentment or rest in your life? 
And maybe you've thought that more money is the answer. But of course, you can never have enough money. Well, we know that. Some of the most restless and dissatisfied people in the world are the wealthiest people. Well, there's a whole bunch of surveys that tell us that. And maybe you've tried to get more success. Well, but the reality is there's always someone more successful. Well, maybe you've tried to pursue deeper and richer relationships. But no matter what relationship you're in, it never satisfies. And maybe you've pursued more education, right? Because you kind of think that if, well, you can be the most uh, kind of smartest and most qualified person in the room, then, well, you'll be satisfied. But you're not. And we all experience this restlessness, this deep sense that nothing in life ever truly satisfies. Uh, But how do you deal with your restlessness? When I became a Christian, I actually discovered that the restlessness in my heart was actually a gift from God. It was something that God had planted deep in my heart and my soul uh, to, to keep me seeking after him. Uh, recently, uh, I've been reading a, a book kind of St. Augustine's Confession. See, it's a book I've read bits and pieces of over the years. Uh, it's great to, to finally be reading all of it. But I really recommend it. Uh, Augustine's Confession starts with that fairly well-known quote. You may have heard it before. He says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Our restless hearts, our souls, can only find rest when they find their rest in God. Right by in God, or Augustine means in seeing and experiencing and delighting in the glory of God. Uh, by God's glory, he means the infinite riches of who God is. Right, God's beauty, God's wonderful majesty, his love, his compassion, his mercy, his grace, his kindness. Right, the sort of characteristics that, that we saw listed in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Oh, when God revealed his glory to Moses. You see, God made you, he designed you, he kind of hardwired into your soul uh, that that you would find rest for your soul in seeing and experiencing and delighting in his glory. Uh, So your restless soul uh, can only find rest uh, when it finds its rest in God's glory. And the wonderful news, right now, as we see in these final verses of the book of Exodus, is that God is eager for us to find this rest. Now, take a look at verse 34, right? We see in verse 34 of today's passage, the eager coming of God's glory. Now, if you look at this verse, you'll see that it says, Then the cloud covered the temple, uh, rather covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In the kind of original Hebrew text, there is certainly a break between verses 33 and 34, but it's probably not as big a break as our translation suggests. It could easily be translated simply as Moses finished the work, so the cloud covered the tent of meeting. The close connection between these verses shows two things. Right, first, it shows us just how important it is that the Israelites obediently finish the work of building the tabernacle. 
But God's glorious presence was only able to dwell amongst his people because his people had finished the work of building his tabernacle. But second, the connection between these verses shows us uh, that uh, uh, that there's a real bit of excitement and eagerness on God's part here. It's almost as if God's been kind of standing by, you know, champing at the bit, eagerly waiting for his home to be finished so that he can finally dwell with his people. So as soon as the work's done, God's home is ready. God moves right in, right? He enters his home in the form of this cloud of his glory. And the cloud here, but being a kind of visible manifestation of God's presence. We've seen this throughout the book of Exodus uh, in a number of places. But they say in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, for example, where we see that after the Israelites had left Egypt, Exodus 13, verse 21 says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire, to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Right, so this cloud of God's glorious presence comes down and, and <clears throat> excuse me, comes down and we're told that it covers and fills his dwelling place. Right, God's presence kind of comprehensively fills his new home. How do we understand this? Or sometimes when we see a particular leader or entertainer or someone with a big personality, a performer of some kind, we might say to one another, gee, that that person really knows how to fill a room. The glory, as it were, of their charisma, their emotions, their giftedness just fills that room. And likewise here, God moves into his home uh, amongst his people. Uh, and his glorious presence fills every nook and cranny of his house. Every bit of it is covered, is filled with his glory. But his house, which is referred to in verse 34, if you look there, uh, as both his tabernacle uh, and the tent of meeting. Uh, the word tabernacle there, you might remember, uh, can simply be translated as dwelling place. So even though in a real sense God dwells everywhere, you know, he's omnipresent, uh, here he's choosing to dwell in a special way uh, with his people in this tent. Uh, and the fact that God's dwelling place is a tent reminds us of God's eager desire not just to dwell with his people, uh, but to identify with his people. Uh, so yes, God is holy and transcendent and glorious, but, but he doesn't want to be distant or, or removed or detached from his people's daily lives. But he knows his people are living their lives in tents, uh, so he wants to live in a tent too. He wants to identify with them. And of course, the fact that it's called a tent of meeting reminds us that the whole purpose of God dwelling with his people is so that he might meet with his people. But the whole picture in verse 34 is one of eagerness, by God's eagerness to dwell with his people, to identify with his people, to meet with his people. But God is eager to dwell with you. He's eager to show you his glory and that you might find rest for your restless soul in seeing and experiencing and delighting in who he is. 
Uh, That's the eager coming of God's glory. Secondly, in verse 35, uh, we see the impenetrable barrier of God's glory. Uh, If you look at verse 35, after the kind of climactic moment of verse 34, uh, let's be honest, verse 35 is a bit disappointing. Like God's supposedly eager to dwell with his people, uh, but in verse 34, Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You see the irony here. Right? God's new home is literally called the tent of meeting. And yet here God's presence has filled his new home so comprehensively that not even Moses can enter it. Right? Absolutely no one can meet with God. Now this reminds us of at least two things. First, it reminds us that while God is eager to dwell with his people, as one writer says, he is sovereignly in charge of his front door. Which is to say that when God's ready to meet with someone, he will be sure to invite them to enter his presence. Oh, well, we saw that in Exodus 24, right? Verses 15 and 16, you might remember Moses and Joshua, they climb up Mount Sinai to meet with God. And you recall that they stayed on the mountain for six days until finally on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from the cloud of his glory, inviting him to enter his presence. The Lord is sovereignly in charge of his front door. A second verse 35 reminds us that at this point, that the Lord is really yet to detail all the conditions of entry to his presence. How is it possible for a sinful and imperfect people to enter into the presence of a holy and perfect God? In Exodus, we've got hints of that, hints of how it's going to be possible with Moses' ministry in Exodus 32 and 34 and the chapters about the tabernacle in Exodus 25 and 27 and the whole covenant ceremony in Exodus 24. All those things give us hints about how it's going to be possible for God to dwell and meet with his people. But none of that's fully resolved the issue right in verse 35. It's supposed to leave us hanging for the very next book in the Bible, the book of Leviticus. Because it's in the book of Leviticus, as it details the full system of sacrifices that the Israelites would have to offer to deal with their sins, that God explains how this impenetrable barrier between him and his people will be removed. The barrier of their sin, their imperfection, their brokenness. But in verse 35, all that's to come. So God's holy and perfect presence remains an impenetrable barrier for his sinful and imperfect people. In verses 36 and 37, we see the continual guidance of God's glory. Look at verse 36, we read there. In all the travels of the Israelites... Uh, Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. Uh, But if the cloud did not lift, uh, they did not set out until the day it lifted. But in all the travels of the Israelites here, that phrase tells us uh, that this is something that was part of the everyday experience of all the Israelites. 
But as they travelled from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land, right, their daily experience included waiting on the Lord for his guidance. Right, they would only set out from camp when the cloud of God's glory lifted up from the tabernacle. And as you think about that, as you contemplate it, it's important to remember that the Israelites knew where they were going. Right, they, knew they, were, they knew they were going to the land of Canaan. And many of them, many of them, you had to get to the land of Canaan. But it's not like it was a mystery. But so surely they could have just kind of ploughed on towards the promised land and checked in with God every now and then to see if they were on the right track. But that's not what they did. Why? Well, the Israelites, yes, they wanted to go to the place that the Lord had prepared for them. But they wanted to get to that place along the way that the Lord wanted to lead them and at the pace that the Lord wanted to take them. So as they journeyed through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, they continually waited for the Lord to guide and lead them. It's a bit like this for us too. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God who's filled with God's Spirit, in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, Paul speaks about, about the fact that, that as we journey through the wilderness of this world, with all its brokenness and hardships and sufferings, uh, we will be led and guided by God's Spirit. Well, look it up later on. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. The glorious presence of God that guided the Israelites through the wilderness now dwells in your heart, if you're a Christian, by the power of God's Spirit, right, guiding you every step of the way as you journey through the wilderness of this world on your way to your promised land, right, the new heavens and new earth that God has prepared for you. Right, but as we kind of journey together towards that place, uh, the place that God has prepared for us, uh, there's a sense in which each of us has to wait on the Lord so that he can take us down to the particular path that he wants us to take. Right? Because none of our journeys to eternity are going to be exactly the same. And we also have to wait on the Lord so that he can lead us at the particular pace that he wants us to go. In different seasons of life, some of us might need to move faster or slower than others. And now we're saying that, right? now we're saying that we've got to wait on the Lord uh, and on his guidance. I'm not saying we've got to kind of wait for a special word from God every time we make a decision. Right? That's not what I'm saying. Right? God guides us primarily through his spirit-inspired words in the Bible. Right? God's spirit leads us through God's words. And God guides us through the spirit-filled community of his people. So when we're waiting on the Lord for guidance, well, we should see that as a kind of community project, right? as we seek wisdom from our brothers and sisters. It's as we do that, as we look at God's word and speak with God's people, that God's spirit will prompt and lead and guide us to walk in particular paths. But I think if we're honest, we're often just running ahead of God and with our own ideas and agendas. I'm not slowing down to wait on the Lord to guide us. And frankly, this is something that, that I've got to work on as a pastor. Oh, I know that. 
I'd in my kind of restlessness that I'd spoken about earlier, oh, I could easily think, look, I know where we're going and I know how we're going to get there and I know how fast we've got to go to get there. Well, we should have been there yesterday. But oh, I've got to learn to slow down and wait on the Lord for guidance. Well, maybe you do too. And that's the continual guidance of God's glory that the, the Israelites experienced in the wilderness. Fourth, uh, verse 38, uh, we've got the faithful presence of God's glory. Uh, in verse 38 we read, So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, uh, and fire was in the cloud by night, uh, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. So the real emphasis of verse 38 is on completeness, like comprehensiveness. For example, the references to to by day and by night uh, tell us that the Lord was faithfully present with his people all the time. Like every moment of the day or night, he was with them. And this was something that was true for how many of the Israelites? For all the Israelites, right? Every Israelite knew that the Lord was with them. And this was the case during how much of their travels? It was all their travels, right? God didn't take a break for any part of the Israelites' journey towards the promised land. He was uh, present uh, with every step of every Israelite in every moment of every day. But the Lord was faithfully present with his people. And so there it is, right? That the eager coming of God's glory, the impenetrable barrier of God's glory, the continual guidance of God's glory, and the faithful presence of God's glory. Right? God's glory, as St. Augustine says, uh, that brings rest to our restless souls. Right? But, but how? Right? How is it possible for you to find this rest for your restless soul? The, the rest uh, that is found in God, in seeing and experiencing and delighting in God's glory right? that, that, that we see here at the end of Exodus 40. Right? And, of course, to the answer, and of course the answer to that is that it's possible because of Jesus, right? because of Christ. Right, first, because just as God was eager to, to come and dwell with the Israelites in his tabernacle, uh, he was ultimately eager to come and dwell with humanity in Christ. Well, we've seen this a number of times in Exodus. So in John chapter 1, verse 14, how in Christ the glorious Son of God took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. Right, literally tabernacling among us. In doing that, God showed his eagerness not just to identify with us by dwelling in a tent with us, uh, but to identify with us by taking on a human body, by entering into all the weakness and temptation and suffering of our human experience. Uh, So Hebrews 4 verse 15 says that in Christ we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. Right, God in Christ shows that he is eager to dwell with us, right, dwell with you, right, in all his glory. 
All right, but of course, God the Son took on flesh in Christ, not just to identify with our human experience, though that's wonderful. But he took on flesh to remove that impenetrable barrier between us and God, right? By giving his flesh on the cross. So later in John chapter 1, in John 1 verse 39, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, Look, right, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? The whole system of sacrifices that's hinted at in Exodus and detailed in Leviticus is finally fulfilled in Jesus. Right? Jesus, as it were, is the ultimate Lamb of God, the, the kind of ultimate sacrifice who dies in our place on the cross to take away our sins, right? So to remove that impenetrable barrier that exists between us and God. So that unlike Moses at the end of Exodus, we can boldly enter God's presence, right? To see and experience and delight in God's glory. And of course, once that barrier is removed, God promises to continually guide us through Christ and his spirit. Uh, I already touched on this from Romans 8, but, but we also see this idea in John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Uh, we know from John 7, you can read that later on, uh, that Jesus says these words when he's in the temple courts in Jerusalem. Right? It's during the, during the Jewish festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. Right? This was the festival uh, in which the Jewish people remembered how God had protected and, and guided and provided for them as they wandered in the wilderness. Uh, so each night of this festival, uh, after the sun had gone down, uh, two massive lamps were lit in the temple courts. Right? To remind the Israelites of what? of that pillar of cloud and fire that symbolised God's presence with them in the wilderness. So you see what's going on? Well, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's standing right in front of those massive lamps. But he's saying, I am that glorious light-filled cloud of God's presence. I am God's glory, the cloud that will guide the Israelites, that will guide you through the wilderness. So if you want to get through the wilderness of life in this world, with all its confusion and hardships and suffering, what do you have to do? You must come to Jesus. He is the light of the world. You must let Jesus lead you and guide you and protect you every step of the way until you get to the place he has prepared for. Because in Jesus, God is faithfully present with his people, both now and forever. In John 14, verses 1 to 3, Jesus speaks with his disciples about how he'll be present with them forever. He says from verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, uh, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, uh, that you also may be where I am. You see, just as God prepared a place for the Israelites in the Promised Land, so also, if you trust in Jesus, you can be assured 
uh, that he has prepared a place for you in his father's house. His father's house, but being another way of speaking about eternal life, the new heavens and new earth, the place where we'll finally get to fully see and experience and delight in God's glory, where we'll finally find full and lasting rest for our souls. And through faith in Christ, God will be present with us forever. But of course, he's also present with us now. But later in John 14, in verses 16 and 17, Jesus speaks about the coming of his spirit. He says, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. See, in one sense, Christ has gone away from us to, to prepare a place for us in eternity. Right? But in another sense, he's never been closer to us right? because he's with us by the power of his spirit. Right? Christ will, will never, ever leave you alone to fend for yourself. In fact, in verse 18, he says that. He says, oh, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come. To you, right? By the power of his spirit, the glorious presence of Christ is with you, right? Every moment of every day. In fact, even though it's kind of mind-blowing that in Christ, God was eager to dwell in this world, isn't it even more mind-blowing that in his spirit, God is eager to dwell in you? Well, we see that in John 14, verse 23, well, where Jesus says, Anyone who loves me will, will obey my teachings. My Father will love them. And we, the Father and the Son, will come to them and make our home with them. But it's possible for you to see and experience and delight in God's glory, to, to find rest for your restless soul because of Christ. But it's in Christ that God shows his ultimate eagerness to dwell with you. Right? It's in Christ that God removes every barrier that's in the way of him dwelling with you. It's in Christ that God continually leads you and guides you so that it's through faith in Christ that God is faithfully present with you, not just now, but forever. It's in seeing and experiencing and delighting in God's glorious presence in Christ and that you can find rest for your restless soul. For as St. Augustine says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for this great promise of rest. Uh, many of us are restless in various ways. Uh, we pray that this day you would fill our hearts, our minds, our vision uh, with the glory of our Lord Jesus, the full riches of who he is, uh, that we might find rest for our souls. Uh, it's in his name that we pray. Amen.